Coming up this evening on NTD Business, the Fed will fight inflation, raising rates for the first time since 2018. But what are the risks? Oil prices have dropped $30 from their highest point a week ago. But gas prices aren't easing. Why? And is China trying to distance itself from Russia? Beijing recently said it has nothing to do with the Ukraine conflict. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. The Federal Reserve Chairman today blamed inflation on American workers demanding higher wages. He didn't place all of the blame on wage demands, but talked about it on more than one occasion. In fact, he says one of the goals of raising interest rates, which the Fed did today for the first time since 2018, is to slash the number of job openings so workers can negotiate higher wages. Here's the chairman today. If you add uh, job openings to those who are employed, that's actually substantially a larger number than the size of the workforce, than the number of people who actually count themselves as in the workforce. So this is a situation where demand is higher than supply. And when that happens, prices go up. The Fed is hoping tightening monetary policy won't cause a recession. Higher rates could slow down economic growth by taking money and demand out of the economy. Money becomes more expensive to borrow for businesses and regular Americans, so they're less likely to do it. Also, if you have credit card debt or other loan debt, you'll have to pay more interest. That'll leave you with less to spend on things you like, so the price of those things might fall if there's no one around to buy them. Powell thinks we probably won't see a recession in the next year. He says consumer demand is high enough and labor market is strong enough to withstand the higher rates. The Fed is raising rates by a quarter percent. Very modest, but Powell hinted we'll see many more of them throughout the year. So the way the way that works, I would explain, is as we raise interest rates, that should gradually slow down demand for the interest-sensitive parts of the economy. And so what we would see is, uh, is demand slowing down, but just enough so that it's better matched with supply. And that, brings, that will bring inflation down over time. That's, that's our plan. Prices are officially rising at the fastest pace in four decades. The chairman wouldn't answer when asked if the Fed is late to the party in dealing with the inflation. During the last bout of rapid inflation in the 1980s, the Fed raised interest rates to 20%. Today's hike puts them at a quarter to half of 1%. The Fed will also start directly taking money out of the economy by reducing the size of its balance sheet. The chairman estimates that's the equivalent of another modest rate hike. So joining us live to discuss the Fed's decision is the CEO of Santiago Capital, Brent Johnson. Brent, as always, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Brent, enlighten us. Limiting workers' wages during historically high inflation doesn't seem to solve the fundamental problem, does it? Well, no. And, you know, you've kind of got to look at this thing from a couple different views. Um, the, the Fed is there to, to be the lender of last resort. And, uh, you know, in many ways, they've caused all these problems. So to think that they're going to be the one to come along and, and fix the problem is a little bit laughable. Now, having said that, you, you kind of have to play the game because they exist and they have great influence over the economy. And so, you know, I think they're trying to thread a needle that's going to be very hard to do. Um, not impossible, but very hard. 
So on that point, Brent, we hear lots of different reasons for inflation, supply chain problems, labor shortages. You bring up the Fed here. How exactly do, do their actions play into this? Well, it's a combination of two. You know, I, th I think a year ago, everybody was talking about how all the quote unquote money printing was leading to all the inflation and they kept showing the M2 year over year growth chart. Uh, but now this year, you know, the M2 year over year growth chart is cratered but yet we still have inflation. So I think that shows that it wasn't just the M2 year over year growth. It was also the supply chain problems. And now what's really accelerated a lot of the inflationary pressures is uh, the military confrontation in Ukraine. And so, you know, I would never step out and say the Fed has had no influence on this, but I think it's also fair to say that supply chains and supply constraints are a big part of it. And so now they're trying to come in and trying to solve uh, for that. You know, and the chairman mentioned a couple of times today that by raising rates, they hope to bring demand down to where it's in line with supply because supply has been constrained. So if demand falls a little bit and supply opens up a little bit, hopefully we can get some normalized prices. Again, they're trying to thread a very difficult uh, eye of a needle here. And it, it's, they've got a huge, huge challenge ahead of them. One side of the challenge is, of course, the risk of a recession or something similar. The chairman doesn't expect it, but what what do you think? You know, I, I don't like to make too many predictions, but I think it's likely. I think it is likely there is going to be a recession. It's more a matter of, of when. Um, you know, typically when the yield curve inverts, it's only a matter of time uh, before the recession hits. Um, I think it's typically a year, the time frame from when a yield curve inverts to when in, in a recession happens. And, you know, the yield curve hasn't completely inverted yet, but portions of it have. Uh, you know, the five-year, 10-year was inverted at one point today. I, I'm not sure where it exactly closed, but at one point it was inverted. Um, so, and, you know, 30-year 30, 30 yields came down today. So, you know, the curve flattened, which is indicative of, of a potential recession. And so, you know, I, I can't say for sure that the Fed can't pull this off. I'll just say that I, I don't have as much faith in them as, as Powell seemed to indicate he has in his team. On that yield curve, Brent, is this the, the market investors telling us that they are anticipating a recession coming up? Is this this indicator? Yeah, I, I think that, that that is what it's saying. That, that's the market telling you that they don't believe the Fed, right? That's the market saying, okay, we know that you might raise the short end, but on that back end that you don't control, we're in control and we're telling you that this is not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes the market's wrong. Now, I always say the market's never wrong. So right now, you know, you kind of got to give it to the market. But I, I don't know for sure what's going to happen. I just know it's going to be volatile along the way. Well, on those points, the chairman did say that I think he calls them financial conditions could um, get worse. You know, we know stocks, bonds, everything else down over the past few weeks. How are you how do you protect your money in this type of environment? Well, first of all, it's really hard. And, and you know, it's the, the, the answer is different for everybody. So, you know, I, I don't want to get into too many semantics here, but it's hard for me to give an answer if I don't know the individual situation. But one thing I would say is if you don't feel comfortable in this market, then don't be in this market, right? You know, if, if, you, if you don't know how to trade this market, then don't trade this market. You know, hopefully you can find some professional help that can help you with it or just sit on the sidelines. Uh, it's tough to do when you've got inflationary pressures. You don't just want to sit in cash. But, you know, having some return or, or having some money is better than having no money. Um, so, so whatever you do, just be very careful. Great. Brent Johnson, as always, thank you. Santiago Capital, appreciate it. And Russia is reportedly nearing a default on its foreign debt. 
If that happens, it'll be the first foreign debt default since the Bolshevik Revolution more than a century ago. Today's the deadline for Russia to pay $117 million in interest on some of its dollar-denominated debts. But sanctions mean it can't access much of its foreign reserves, including dollars. So the Russian finance minister says they've asked their U.S. bank to make the payment. But with the sanctions, the money may not go through. Russia does get a 30-day grace period, so technically we won't know whether it's going to default for sure until April 15th. Russia even floated the idea of paying its dollar debts in rubles instead. But according to the terms of the debt, that it'd still be considered default. And in a bid to make up for a seized assets, one Russian lawmaker is demanding the U.S. return the state of Alaska. The U.S. Bought, it, bought Alaska from Russia in 1867 for $7 million. Lawmaker made the demand on Russian state television over the weekend. He also wants Fort Ross back. That's a former Russian settlement 90 miles north of San Francisco. He also demanded the return of all Russian properties, those of the Russian Empire, the Soviet Union, and current Russia, which have been seized in the United States. He even went on to claim Antarctica belongs to Russia as well. The United States will likely ignore his demands as it ratchets up sanctions on Russia. Yesterday, Russia retaliated by sanctioning President Biden and others in his administration. So joining us now is Governor Mike Dunleavy of Alaska. Governor, have the Russians contacted you about taking back the state yet? Not officially. I don't think they will either. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Governor, I wanted to talk to you about kind of oil prices and Alaska. How are Alaskans feeling about inflation there? Because, of course, high oil prices mean more revenue for the state as well. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. There's no doubt about it. So, as you mentioned, the higher the price, <clears throat> the more the state gets uh, revenue, but it's a tax on the people. And so there's kind of a sweet spot. And really what we're interested in is more production, not higher prices per se. So we produce right now about 500,000 barrels of oil a day. If we were to double that, which will be tough, but we, we, we think we can get a couple hundred or a couple of the several hundred thousand more barrels if allowed to. Um, you don't have to have a highest price, uh, as high a price to uh, be able to uh, uh, get more revenue. And at the same time, it's less of a burden uh, for people at the pump because the prices will be lower. So in essence, what's happening right now, to some degree, it's a tax on the people of Alaska, a tax on the people of this country. Uh, the state's in good shape in terms of its fiscals, but the people really aren't, not just because of the high price at the pump, high price across the board, right? Food, transportation, uh, you name it. We're seeing some of the, the highest inflationary rates we've ever seen. And so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a killer for a lot of our folks, especially on the low end of the uh, sec, uh, uh, socioeconomic uh, uh, scale. It, it has allowed you to forecast a pretty decent budget surplus for the next year. Are you planning any tax breaks to go along with it? Well, we don't have a statewide sales tax, nor do we have a statewide income tax. Uh, we get uh, our tax uh, tax revenue from our oil, obviously, <clears throat> and so we do, we are predicting a uh, projecting a 3.4 billion dollar surplus, and the idea there is to give some of that back to the people uh, through our permanent fund dividend program, which is going to help them because of the inflationary rates, but also we're going to bank the rest of it because we don't know what oil prices are going to be tomorrow or next year. And so we want to bank this surplus uh, just to be prepared in case the oil prices go down again and we need to draw upon that revenue. 
And finally, Governor, it looks like the price of commodities, if the trouble in Europe continues and perhaps escalates, it looks like the, the price of commodities is going to rise globally. You guys are pretty commodity rich there in Alaska. Are you, are you considering these potential outcomes? Yeah, we are. We also know that commodity prices can drop as well. And really, it's, it's not the short term, because there's not much we can do about the short term. I mean, the next couple of days, couple of weeks, even a couple of months. It's really about understanding that this is not the first time this has happened, where we've had uh, geopolitical issues in this world that have impacted commodity prices, nor is it going to be the last time. And so the, the real issue is, do we want to produce as much energy as possible, once again, to drive down the price of energy to make it more affordable for, uh, for Alaskans, Americans, and our allies, um, and also ensure our national security, or do we want to take another risk? and not produce as much oil and gas and not produce, including renewables. We're, we're, we're really in support of renewables here in Alaska. We have a tremendous opportunity. But long story short is, this isn't the first time this has happened. This won't be the last time this has happened. Hopefully this is a wake up call. We produce as much energy as possible. And then we don't have to worry about foreign actors and relying upon them. So I hope the Biden administration has gotten the message. I think a lot of Alaskans and Americans have. I just hope they follow suit. They put in place good policy. Governor Mike Dunleavy, Alaska, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Oil prices have fallen pretty significantly this week. So why haven't we seen gas prices come down? The East Bay Quarter explains. West Texas intermediate prices are falling. Brent prices are falling. Meanwhile, gas station prices are not. President Biden tweeted, oil prices are decreasing. Gas prices should too. And Bernie Sanders tweeted, shocking. Gas prices are at the highest levels ever at the same time the big oil companies are raking in huge profits. Gasoline prices will come down in the next week or two. I mean, when you get oil from the oil field it goes to the refinery, then it goes to the gas station. It takes time. Jay Young is the CEO of King Operating Corporation and the author of The Upside of Oil and Gas Investing. Young says gas prices are a lagging indicator of what's happening in the oil markets. Now, the gas station doesn't say, oh, my, the price went down on the stock exchange, so I'll lower my price. What they do is this gas tank that's under the ground needs to be refilled. It's going to cost me this amount of money from the distributor. And so they base the price off what it costs to refill the tank. So if the distributor raises the prices because they're being told the prices are going to be higher from the producer because the speculators make it higher, gas prices don't change that quickly. Lauren Fix is an automotive expert at Car Coach Reports. She believes politicians who criticize gas prices are unaware of how businesses operate. Joshua Pierce is a business professor at Western University. Pierce says the rise and fall of crude prices are due mainly to speculation. The oil markets became uh, very excited because they didn't know what was going to come in the future. And so everyone was trying to, to buy up oil so that they would have some reserves so they could sell it in the future. And then now that we have a better understanding about the West's um, sort of ways of dealing with Russia, uh, it's kind of calmed everybody down. Meanwhile, today's average gas price is $4.30 a gallon, around a one-cent drop from yesterday's average of four thirty-one. Faye Quarter, NTD News. And markets rallied today despite the Fed announcing the rate increase. The Dow rose 519 points, 1 and 6 tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 gained 95 points, 2 and 2 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq, the big winner today, gained 488 points, 3 and 8 tenths of a percent today. 
But the IMF says the war in Ukraine will impact the entire global economy by slowing growth and increasing inflation. Agency also warned that the conflict could fundamentally reshape the global economic order. It says the war is boosting prices for food and energy and fueling inflation. High asset prices are also at risk as businesses. Confidence drops and investor uncertainty rises. This in turn will lead to tighter financial conditions, perhaps capital outflows from emerging markets. In the longer term, IMF says the war could fundamentally alter the global economic and geopolitical order due to shifts in energy trade, rejigging of supply chains and fragmentation of payment networks. And Beijing gave one of its most explicit statements on sanctions against Russia Tuesday. Chinese foreign minister said Beijing wants to avoid being impacted by sanctions. It's because, he says, China has nothing to do with the Ukraine conflict. So what's he implying? Anthony's Don Ma has the details. Does the Chinese foreign minister's statement hint that China is distancing itself from Russia? Is China displaying a fear for U.S. sanctions? Well, as for the sanctions, a senior fellow at the Huston Institute, who specializes in foreign policy and international relations, says that Beijing is afraid of U.S. sanctions. China, they're worried that they might get sanctions that could hit them really hard. And the U.S. would be able to do that uh, should they decide. The U.S. warned China Sunday that it will face consequences if Beijing tries to help compensate Russia amid sanctions. What could those consequences be? China could be subject to secondary sanctions. So Chinese institutions, companies, persons who deal with assets that are linked to Russia uh, could be hit by restrictions. And the most severe of those types of sanctions would be to do with uh, restricting access to the U.S. financial system. As for when the Chinese foreign minister said that China has nothing to do with the Ukraine conflict, is he hinting that China wants to distance itself from Russia? Ethan Yang, who specializes in political science and international relations at the American Institute for Economic Research, says yes, but also no. China is trying to distance itself in the matter on this specific issue of Ukraine, but it's not going to undermine the entire Russian-Chinese relationship in the sense of the grand scheme of things. Though Mr. Yang says it's not a no-limits partnership between China and Russia. China only partnered with Russia out of necessity. It was the only other uh, great power in the region that was opposed to the U.S., opposed to the West. And so it was a natural alliance out of necessity. When things get out of hand, as they are right now, the Chinese will, will take the appropriate steps to distance themselves because they... Yang says China doesn't care about Russia taking over Ukraine as much as Russia cares about taking over Ukraine. He points out there's no Chinese forces helping out with the invasion. He also adds that the two countries are not necessarily interested in helping each other out that much beyond their own domestic interests. Don Ma, NTD News. Hong Kong stocks jumped today after China tried to calm markets and jittery investors. Beijing promised support for real estate and tech companies after regulatory crackdowns caused stock prices to plunge there. Anthony Sean Marshall has more. Hong Kong stocks jumped 9% on Wednesday after Beijing assured markets it would ease regulatory crackdowns and support property and technology companies. The comments come a day after China stocks fell to 21-month lows and Hong Kong firms neared 2008 lows. 
I spoke with finance lecturer Jeff Hook on the subject. He's a former investment banker and author that has been to China two dozen times. It sort of started with the Chinese government pulling the plug on the Ant IPO, which was being sponsored, of course, by that giant internet company in China, Alibaba. So that was sort of the beginning of the end, so to speak. Bloomberg reported a vow was made that the crackdown on internet companies was nearing its end and the government would prevent a disorderly collapse in the property market. In China, you know, the government has somewhat more of a role that it plays in the stock market than the United States. That has its pluses and minuses, I guess, from an investor point of view. Investors have been bracing for worst-case scenarios like sanctions against China for its perceived support of Russia's war in Ukraine. And I don't think they want to drive international investors away, but you know it has been an adjustment period, as I've kind of pointed out, for the last uh, 15 months or so as people kind of adjusted. The recent surge of COVID infections in China has raised concerns about the rising economic costs of its tough measures to contain the disease. And Wednesday's announcement was a bit vague, saying only that Beijing will continue to support overseas share listings. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And a familiar face is coming back to lead Starbucks. Company founder Howard Schultz will serve as interim CEO of the coffee store giant. He's filling in the vacancy left by Kevin Johnson, who will step down next month after five years at the helm. Schultz, who took Starbucks from 11 stores to more than 28,000 from 1987 to 2018, says he will take part in the hunt for a new CEO in addition to handling day-to-day issues. According to a statement from the company, Schultz is doing the job on a volunteer basis. We paid $1 for his services. But now we take a quick break. Still to come, stay with us. Airfares on the rise, but fuel prices aren't the main cause. It's because of something else. And Aston Martin is releasing its latest supercar, but it'll also be the last of its kind. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Are you planning a flight? Well, you better plan to pay up. Prices aren't just going up at the pump. Jet fuel prices are sky high too. But your flight cost has less to do with fuel and more to do with demand. Delta and Americans say the demand they're seeing right now is unprecedented. Both airlines had record days for passenger bookings last week. That means they're charging more, about 8 to 10% more than they thought they'd be. It's not great for your pocketbook, but it's a big boost for the airline industry, which lost tens of billions of dollars during the pandemic. Prices aren't back to where they were pre-pandemic at this point, but all this demand should be enough to get the industry back to profitability for the first time since 2019. And movie theater chain AMC is now looking beyond the silver screen, turning to, wait for it, silver mining. 
It's not only expanding its core business to include crypto NFTs and developing its own popcorn brand, it's also venturing into gold mining. Company officials say they're going to invest roughly $28 million to purchase a 22% stake in Nevada-based Highcraft Mining. It's the operator of a gold and silver mine. AMC stock is up more than 5% today on the news. And the largest retailer in America is looking to boost its workforce. Today, Walmart announcing it wants to hire at least 50,000 employees this spring. Positions are available in stores, campuses, clubs and supply chain facilities. Walmart officials hope to have them all filled by April. Comes as much of the retail industry has experienced a worker shortage, which was triggered in part by the pandemic. Walmart recently increased its starting pay rate to $16.40 an hour. Some workers in select positions make nearly twice that rate. And James Bond's car of choice, the Aston Martin, is launching its most powerful V12 Vantage sports car yet. It's also going to be its last. The luxury car maker shifts towards more electric cars in a couple of years. Didis Filzo has the story. The luxury car maker Aston Martin is launching its all-new 2023 V12 Vantage sports car. It's a track animal. Aston Martin CEO says they've created something special. That's after the original car first launched 15 years ago. V12 Vantage, we thought it's probably a good idea to put our biggest engine in our smallest car. And we created a car which, is my perspective, the most sportiest car ever the company made. The new fossil fuel-powered car will also be the last of its kind, as Aston Martin plans to release its first all-electric car in 2025. The Vantage V12 is really the, the, the swan song Billionaire Lawrence Stroh, an investor in Aston Martin, says the car is already sold out. It'll be the last V12 Vantage we made, listening to car collectors, real enthusiasts, who have most of the people we've sold the cars to, and it was three times oversubscribed. The company says it's making only 333 units, with a starting price of around $300,000. Customer deliveries start in the second quarter of this year. Phil Zoe, NTD News. As latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney, you can still catch NTD Evening News. That's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can also follow me on Twitter if you're on there. From the NTD business team, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.